morning, everybody. So it is well and truly Christmas, isn't it? We've got the banner, we've got lights, we've got trees, we've got an, um, an advent trailer. Anybody put their Christmas decorations up this week? Oh, the super keenies and the super organised. Anyone planning to put theirs up this week coming? A few more. So we're going to be doing a lot of last-minute decorating in this family by the looks of things. Uh, Jacob's Well have been up and running this week. They've been doing their performances. Anybody here went to see it? Yes, fantastic show. Christmas carols played to sold-out audiences, which was wonderful. Uh, The X Factor... We're halfway through the X Factor final. That's a sign that it's Christmas, isn't it? The Advent calendars have been opened. Hands up who's excited about a royal wedding? Mm, A few people here. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Hands up who's excited about the fact that the second series of The Crown is arriving on Netflix this week? Yes. Oh, that's more exciting than Harry and Meghan, obviously. (laughs) A very busy week. I wonder what your week's been like. Uh, This week, this last week just gone on Tuesday morning... I had the joy of having the youngest two Baker children round uh, for the morning while uh, Karis and David went off to play somewhere. And uh, it felt... (laughs) (laughs) Speak for yourself, David. And, you know, it was a little bit like a trip down memory lane for, for us in the Grew family, because those of you that know us know that at the moment we're in a small child-free uh, season of life. And uh, so it was really fun to have a couple of other kids around to mess up the house uh, for a while. And to be fair, little Amy, who uh, those of you who know her is only six months old, she did what I would like to have done on a cold Tuesday morning. And she slept for the duration of her visit with us, but not so Ben. He was ready to play. And so we did all kinds of things with Ben that we won't tell David and Karis about right now. But at one point, uh, we got out one of our boxes of old toys that we've kept around, got out a box of cars and the car mat and all of that, and uh, decided to set it up. And, you know, he was into it. And... uh, Tipped all the cars and the lorries and the trucks and the super cool digger trucks that still work onto the floor. And uh, discovered as we were setting up that one of the really cool sports cars that used to sort of zoom around the room really fast was broken. And uh, a back wheel had come off. Some of you that know us, the Groove family, and our history with cars won't be that surprised. But even a toy car in our family would be broken. And... uh, so, this, so he picked up this sports car, and I looked at it, and I said, oh, dear, Ben, this car's broken. The wheel's come off, and it doesn't look like it's going to work. And instead of retorting with a kind of, oh, that's really disappointing. That was the car I wanted to play with. Or picking it out of my hand and looking at it and thinking and trying to fix it himself. Or sort of retorting with some kind of slightly disparaging remark about the grooves and their history with cars. <laughs> He, he, um, he piped up without looking. He didn't look up. He didn't take a deep breath. Without thinking, he piped up with a line that has really struck with me all week. And he said this. He said, don't worry about that. My dad can fix it. <laughs> now, I haven't yet presented said toy car to David. 
to see whether he can actually fix it. I didn't really want to disillusion Ben in that moment and suggest to him that my hunch is that David probably couldn't fix it. Such was his confidence in his dad. My Also, my secret hunch about Ben is that if he'd been with us on the M4 in August when our galaxy finally bit the dust and broke down for good, he would have said the same thing to us. Don't worry, my dad can fix it. But in that moment, as this confident sort of utterance came out of his mouth, I had one of those slow motion moments. I had one of those slow motion moments hit between the eyes with his big view of his big dad, of his rock-solid confidence that this was nothing for David, that David would be able to fix it. He didn't have to check with his mum. He didn't check with me what I thought about David's skills dad could fix it. A broken car, a broken wheel wasn't going to get in the way of David's ability to sort things out. Ben's life was under control because he had a dad who could fix things. So of course, kind of in this slow moment, and as I've pondered that little statement by a little boy this week, I found myself asking the same question. Do I have that kind of confidence about my father in heaven? Is that the kind of thing that I, could, I can say in the face of all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of scenarios, with that kind of, you know, without thinking, with a kind of throwaway confidence that's sort of beguiling, really, because it's so, it's so beautiful and so unworked up. Don't worry. My dad can fix it. He's got everything under control. He can fix my broken heart or my broken dreams or the kind of future that looks a bit messy at the moment, or my challenging relationships, my challenging circumstances, my kids' problems, my town's problems, my nation's problems, the world's problems. Don't worry. He can fix it. And I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I have days when I wake up in the morning and absolutely I believe that. My faith levels are high and my confidence in the goodness of God and in his power and in his love for me and his activity in the world... You know, yes, I do believe that. But then there are other days where my confidence in God feels a bit more like a piece of really fragile tissue paper. And if the wind blows a little bit too hard that day, the tissue paper's going to rip. And I can, I can find myself wrestling, wanting to believe that, but thinking, well, Lord, are you in control? Can you fix things? Or is it really the governments that are in control? Or the health issues that are in control? Or my finances that they're in control or random events that are in control or other people and their choices and their actions and the influence they have on my life, they're in control. And so I can find myself worrying and fretting and stressing and not living life in the way that God made me to live it. I wonder what your level of confidence is like this morning when you read the news headlines or when you look around you at the stuff in your life that you're praying for or that you're wrestling with or your family stuff, or you, when you look inside at your own heart, how easily do you find yourself saying, no, don't worry, my dad can fix it. My dad's got this. He's in control. If you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn, turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 1, and we're going to read three verses of a very familiar story that we're going to spend the next month celebrating, thinking about, enjoying, unpacking all of that. The Christmas story and the coming of Jesus. Uh, The words are going to come up on the screen, I think. There they are. 
There we go. Um, it's a long way up that screen. And I'm going to read the three verses from uh, verse 30 in chapter 1 of Luke. And this is Gabriel. This is part of Gabriel's conversation with uh, Mary when he shows up and announces to her that she's going to have a baby. She's going to have this, give birth to the Son of God. And uh, he's going to be called Jesus. And he says this. Gabriel says this to her. Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now we remember, this isn't, you know, this isn't a new, uh, this isn't new to any of us. This is a familiar story. We revisit it every year and sometimes during the year. And uh, this season, we remember Jesus coming as the baby. We sing about him as the baby. We read the stories about him being born as a baby. Uh, we go to watch nativity plays, uh, if that's our season of life, and watch you know, uh, him being cuddled as a baby, as it were. God coming to earth. God coming to us in human form so we could see him and watch him and touch him and get to discover what God is really like. And let's not lose the miracle of that fact that God came to earth in human flesh so that we could see him, feel him, touch him, watch him, know him. But what Gabriel is saying here is not just that he's coming in human form as a baby. Gabriel is announcing the coming of a king. You know, the, just in those three verses, he uses the word reign, he uses the word throne, and he uses the word kingdom. He's announcing that Jesus is coming as a king, as the king of all kings, as the king whose kingdom outlasts every other king and kingdom. He's the king of ISIS. He's the king over every political leader in the earth. He's the king over Donald Trump. He's the king over the king of Saudi Arabia. He's the king over the most powerful people on the earth. He's the king over Hollywood. He's the king over Silicon Valley. And his kingdom will keep going forever. It will outlast every other kingdom. He's not the king of a kingdom that sits alongside other kingdoms. He's the king of kings, the king over all kings, all people for all time. Gabriel is announcing the coming of a king. But here's the extraordinary thing about this event that we remember at Christmas. This event that we remember at Christmas that is so precious to us. The only people 2,000 years ago who recognized the king of the universe born in a stable were a few wise men and their, uh, and I was going to say, and their sheep, <laughs> a few shepherds and their sheep, and a few wise men and their camels, Tim's favorite animal, as we've come to discover. And they were the ones that recognized him as king because they were listening to God. The king of the universe arrived in a stable in Bethlehem in Israel 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem was stuffed full of the people of God who'd come to register there at the census run by the Romans. And nobody knew what was going on in their midst. Even the innkeeper whose stable the baby was born in, Jesus was born in, didn't know what was going on under his nose. The king had come to earth and most people missed it. And here's the thing, I think, about this Christmas story 
that is so precious to us or has the potential to be so precious to us because it speaks about Jesus being a hidden king. It speaks about Jesus for now being a hidden king. If you were writing a screenplay and you were going to, you were, you know, writing the details around the story of a king being born on earth, you know, a king being born somewhere, would you put them in, an, in a, you know, a feeding trough that belonged to animals? Can you imagine the uproar if Prince George had been born in a stable that belonged to the Queen somewhere on her Windsor Castle estate? I mean, it would be all over the national newspapers, wouldn't it? The health and safety police would absolutely be out in their cars and blue, with their blue flashing lights. It would be unheard of. Who chooses a place like that for a ki the king of the earth, the most important, the most precious, the most wonderful, the most powerful king that the universe will ever know? What's my point? God doesn't always move and he doesn't always work in the way that we expect him to. God doesn't move and he doesn't always work in the way we expect him to. And when he doesn't, it can end up meaning we miss him. Like the people in Bethlehem did. Like the innkeeper did. Like the people of God did who were gathered in Bethlehem. And it can end up leading us to conclude that if we can't see what he's doing and we don't know where he is, it can lead us to conclude that he's not at work and that he's not in control and that he's not sovereign and that he's not got things covered. When Jesus came as the king, as we remember him coming at Christmas, he came as a hidden king. He came as a hidden king. One day, the Bible says, he'll come again. And when he comes again, everyone will know that he is the king of kings. He will come in his glory and his majesty and his beauty and his power. And just as everyone on earth can look up into the sky and see the blazing sun, everyone will look at Jesus and recognize him as king. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There will be no choice in the matter. We will, we will recognize him. But for now, and until that day comes, he remains a hidden king. He was born as a hidden king and he remains a hidden king. Yes, he's accessible and discoverable to anyone who's listening to God, like the wise men and the sheep, to anyone who wants to find him. But he's not on display and neither is his majesty to everybody. And that's why if you're anything like me, you need continual reminding. I need continual reminding that God is on his throne that God is king of all, that he is in control, that he is working in our world, that he is working in my life. He is at work through my circumstances, even though his sovereignty, his in controlness, as it were, isn't necessarily obvious, that it isn't necessarily clear, both in my world or in the big wide world. And maybe that's your experience this morning. Maybe that's your experience you know, of what you're going through at the moment, stuff that you're wrestling with, stuff, stuff that you're praying for, stuff that you're fighting for, stuff that you're questioning, stuff that you're wondering about. Maybe you don't know where God is. Maybe you don't know what God's doing. Maybe you're wondering whether he can fix what needs fixing in your life, in your circumstances, in your relationships. Maybe you look around and you're wondering, is he in control? Has he got this? What's my dad doing? Can he handle it? With our own 
human experiences of control. I don't know about you, but I think our own human experience of control, when we talk about somebody being in control, we kind of confuse somebody being in control with somebody being controlling, don't we? And I think we, we assume this notion of somebody being in control, we equate it with one person having power and exercising that power over somebody else or, or other groups of people or a regime exercising power over other groups of people such that those who are, being, who are under the control have no choice who have no power. I think that's our human experience of control. God's not like that. God is not like that. He is good and he is loving and he is in control, but he is not controlling. And there's a huge difference. He's chosen. He's chosen for now not to exercise his power in a way that robs us of choice that robs us of freedom, to make us powerless and controlled. He's chosen not to exercise his power like that. But does that mean he's laid aside his power or he's laid down his power? No. It means that he's God, and we can't quite get our heads around that. God being in control doesn't mean that we don't have choice. It just means that God always has kind of one more, one more move, one more word after we've made our choices, after the people around us have made their choices. It means that every event that happens everywhere, be it in the big wide world or in my small world, it means God has control over it because he has influence and he has, he has another move, he has another word, he has another something that he can do. And I'll be honest and I'll say, and I don't know, it really bothers me when we as Christians kind of take the view that because we believe in the sovereignty of God or that God is in control when we, when we believe that, we kind of take the view, or we can take the view, it bothers me when Christians say, oh, well, because something's happened, it's God's will. As if everything that happens is God's will because we believe God is powerful. That's not faith. It sounds like it in the moment. That's not faith. That's fatalism. It, you know, re, we need to read our Bibles. There were all kinds of things that happened in the Bible, that happened in the life of Jesus, that were not God's will. You know, the disciples, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, deal with that guy, son, who was, who was um, you know, possessed. And they went to Jesus and they said, why couldn't we deal with this? And Jesus didn't say, oh, that's my will. You know, he taught them something. And then he had another move and he sorted it out. So when we take the view that everything that happens to us or in our lives or around us must be somehow God's will, even if we've prayed like the disciples did, that's fatalism. It's not faith, it's fatalism. But does that mean that God's out of control or he's not at work and working? No, it doesn't mean that either. It means that there's a comma there rather than a full stop because God always has another move. Aslan uh, put it, or, or C.S. Lewis said it like this in, uh, in Narnia. Aslan says, there's a deeper magic. I love that phrase. There's a deeper magic. It's something that we can't quite get our heads around. It's what makes God, God. I think the cross uh, makes this sort of illustrates what I'm saying almost better than anything else. If we think about what happened as Jesus was being crucified, I know we're in the Christmas story, but let's just fast forward 33 years to the Easter story for a moment. When Jesus was being crucified, everybody thought they were in control, didn't they? The Pharisees thought they were in control because they bribed the crowd and they got the crowd to say, to say, you know, let's crucify Jesus and free Barabbas. Pontius Pilate thought he was in control. 
Because he thought he had the power to decide whether Jesus was crucified or set free. Satan thought he was in control because he was sending this nuisance of the Son of God to the cross and getting rid of him forever. And Jesus' uh, Jesus' mother and his friends and his family all thought everybody was out of control. The whole world was out of control because they watched their friend being crucified. And yet all the time, Jesus, the King of Kings, was still in control. The Bible says, I choose to lay down my life. Nobody takes it from me. And Jesus laid down his life and put it into the hands, in control, of the Father who was also in control, who had a bigger plan, who had deeper magic, to raise him back to life with the keys of death in his hand. Jesus and his Father, even in that bleakest, darkest, blackest moments, were in control all the time. They had the whole thing covered. They could fix it. Whatever anybody else was doing, they could fix it. It was the deeper magic working for those who love God. That's the promise in Romans 28, isn't it? For those who love God. There's a a picture hanging in the Louvre. Some of you will have seen this. Um, Can we have it up there? And the story is told that uh, it's it's called Checkmate. Uh, I don't know if any of you... Uh, any of you are sort of chef's boffins, but it's a picture called, and it's entitled Checkmate and it's hanging in the Louvre and about 100 years ago, the story is told of a couple of uh, people who were standing watching it and one of them was a, was a bit of a chess nog, a bit of a chess champion and he stood for a while watching this picture or looking at this picture and then suddenly had a moment of revelation and he said, no, it's not Checkmate, mate. The king has one final move. You know, there's one more move left. The king can make it and he will turn the game around and have the victory. You know, it's just a different way of saying the same thing. God is in control because Jesus came as king. He came as the hidden king. He is still the hidden king, but he is in control. So no matter what the pieces of your life and how they're laid out at the moment... No matter what you're wrestling with, no matter what you're worrying about, no matter what, you're, what battles you're fighting, what prayers you're praying, what things you're longing for, what, what challenges and impossibilities are facing you, the king is in control. The hidden king is in control. Job said it like this in chapter 42. I know that you can do all things, God. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of God for you can be thwarted. No purpose of God for you can be thwarted. So briefly, what does it mean for us today that God is in control, that Jesus comes to us today as the promised king? Yes, as a saviour. Yes, as a rescuer. Yes, as a friend. Yes, as the father. But as we remember him this Christmas as the king. Two things. And Ben's already said it. Firstly, there's nothing he can't fix. There is nothing he can't fix. He may still be the hidden king. And he may be working in hidden ways in your life. But there is nothing that he can't fix.
There's a beautiful story in 2 Kings of Elisha with his servant, and they've been causing a bit of trouble for the king of Aram. And Elisha's servant, the, the king of Aram is annoyed, and he sends his horses, and he sends his chariot, and the, the Elisha's servant wakes up one morning, and he pulls back the curtains, and he goes, oh no, because what he can see all around the city are horses and chariots from the king of Aram. And Elisha is as cool as Ben. He doesn't actually say, don't worry, my dad can fix it. But he does say, don't worry, those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And he, rev- and he prays a prayer that the hidden reality, again, the hidden king working in his hidden ways, he prays a prayer that the, the hidden reality would become real to this servant. And he says to God, open his eyes. And the servant can suddenly see horses and chariots of fire on the hills around the the horses and the chariots within the city, the armies of God who were surrounding the armies of the king of Aaron. It's a beautiful picture of the reality of the sovereignty, the control, the kingship of Jesus, of the Father that we can't see, but doesn't mean it's not real. God can fix what's going on in your life. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? Wouldn't you love to see some of those realities that are hidden to us at the moment? The angels that are at work on your behalf, the way God's working that you don't know about, there's nothing like a change of perspective. Whatever situation you're facing at the moment, the king is more powerful. He can fix it. Your dad can fix it. But as a good king and a loving father, he doesn't always do it in the way that we would expect. We've seen that. He uses his power in ways that are best for his children, but not necessarily in the way we expect. Sometimes he moves mountains from in front of us. At other times, he strengthens us to go over those mountains. Sometimes he delivers us from a situation, from opposition, from whatever. At other times, he empowers us to fight it. Sometimes he alleviates our suffering with a miracle. Sometimes he empowers us to endure it. But either way, there is no scenario in any life represented in this building here that God isn't sovereign over and that he can't fix in some way. There's nothing he can't fix. And he wants us to walk in peace. He wants us to walk in peace because he's come to us as a king. You know, Isaiah announced it. Gareth read it out that uh, he's come as the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor. And in human terms, when there's a good and powerful king sitting, ruling over the land, the people experience peace. That's one of the fruits of a good and powerful king being seated on his throne. That's why Jesus could sleep through the storm. Because God was in control. His father had it covered. And Jesus promises us. That's why the angel announces it as good news. Your king, you know, he's coming as a king. Therefore, you can know peace. Yes, peace with God, but peace in our hearts too. And the reality of knowing God as a king means that peace should be a reality in our hearts because he's got it covered because he can fix it because he's in control and it seems to me that you know 
This is where we can, we can take such incredible treasure to the world around us. We are living in a world where there seem to be greater levels of stress and anxiety and fear than at any other time you know, known to man, it seems to me. We may be living in one of the most prosperous nations in the world. We may be living in one of the most techni technologically advanced times ever. But we have more anxiety and more stress than ever before. And the world needs peace. And we are the carriers of peace if we know God as king. And God wants us to live in peace and with peace and to be the bringers of peace, our peace to others. But peace flows into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds, into our situations when we know God and trust him as king, as a powerful king who is in control. Who'd like more peace? Would you like more peace? Peace in the face of difficulty? Peace in the face of bad news? Peace in the face of things not going your way? Peace in the face of choices of others who turn your lives upside down? Peace in the face of things being out of your control? Peace in the middle of the night? Peace first thing in the morning? Peace in your family relationships. Peace over your future, when you think about your future. Peace about your finances. Who'd like more peace? I know I would. And it comes from knowing and trusting Jesus as king. It comes from knowing that he is king. And knowing that we are not. Knowing that he is in control... And knowing that we are not. I know we love to try and be in control. I know we love to try and be in control. But have you noticed that there's this illusion of control that we live with? We think we're in control until something happens and shows us that we're not. And actually the things we try hardest to control. Have you noticed that actually they're the things that control us? Peace comes from knowing that God is in control. That he's king. And that we're not in control. It comes from knowing, actually, we were never meant to be. We were never meant to be in control. And when we don't believe that, when we don't walk in that, when we're still trying to hold on to control, do you know what? It's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. It's why we get worn up, worn out. Because we can't afford to get things wrong. We can't afford to make mistakes. We can't afford to let go for a minute. And that is the most enormous pressure. As a friend of ours used to say, good luck with that. <laughs> Do you know what? Jesus may have come as a vulnerable baby. He did come as a vulnerable baby. He put his life into the hands of humans, as it were. But it was always in the hands of God. He came as a vulnerable baby, but he still came as a powerful king. He came as a powerful king, and he comes to us today and every day as a powerful king, and he doesn't need a palace to prove it. He's a powerful king, and he works, as it were, with the deeper magic of heaven that isn't always obvious to us, just as it wasn't obvious to them then. His sovereignty for now is hidden. 
but it doesn't mean it's hindered sovereignty. And he wants to remind us of that this morning because the fruit of knowing it and the fruit of trusting it is an expectation that he can fix things, which leads so often to an experience that he will do. We know that faith is connected and to that precious treasure of peace being rooted and anchored in the depths of our hearts. So let him remind you of that this morning. Let him remind you that he is on the throne. If you've invited him to be Lord of your life, he is on the throne, he is in control, and he is at work, working out his purposes and his plans to do good for you, to do good in you, so that he can do good through you. So I'm going to invite you to stand. For those of you that are visitors here, or that you're new to us, we like to end our services in a slightly uh, messy way. We know that God loves mess. Gareth has reminded us of, of that this morning. That's why he chose a stable. And so we just like to have a few moments. We like to give ourselves a few moments to respond to what the Lord has been saying, to what the Holy Spirit has been doing in us. And uh, this morning, we're going to sort of do it a bit more messily, even than normal. <laughs> and... Uh, I just felt that it was right, actually. The response to a king is to bow the knee. There are many responses, actually, to make to a king. But one of the main responses is to worship. That's what the shepherds did. That's what the wise men did as they came to the manger. They bowed the knee and they worshipped. And actually, worship can take different forms. We, we sing worship. We offer our lives as worship. And I just sense today that... But what the Lord wanted to do is invite us to respond to that truth that he comes to you today as a king in the way that his Holy Spirit is prompting you. So that may be that it's to sing. And the band are going to lead us in a moment and we're going to respond uh, in sung worship. It may be actually that he's encouraging you or he's inviting you to lay something down that actually you're still battling to be in control of and it's robbing you of peace. And it may be that it's an area of your life, it's a relationship, it's a, it's a particular challenge, it's a mindset, it's um, a desire, a dream, whatever. You know what it is and actually you know that the Lord's inviting you to put it into his hands today and to let go of control and you, you need to surrender it to him. And if that's you, if that's how God's inviting you to spawn, I'm going to encourage you to, to come to the front and do that. Again, there's nothing magical about the front, but you know, people had to move to get to Jesus uh, when he was around. There's something about doing something physical that invites him um, to do something more significant within us. It may be that you're this morning here and you know that actually your response to the king is to ask him again and believe him again for breakthrough in an area of your life that you need him to really cement that confidence in you again, that, that he can fix it. And again, if that's you, I'm going to encourage you to come and do that at the front. And I also have this sense that, you know, there are one or two of us here, and actually, if we think about the throne of our hearts, actually Jesus has got shifted off that throne. He's got shifted off that throne, and we've taken it back from him. And actually, for you, you know that actually your response this morning is to surrender your life to him again. 
It may not be the first time that you do it, but you've maybe just taken that throne back from him and he wants it back again this morning. So as the band begin to play, I'm just going to read. Uh-huh. I'm going to read a few verses from Revelation. John had Revelation. The veil was torn back and what was hidden, the hidden reality was a bit less hidden for a few moments for John. And he said this, or he wrote this. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. (laughs) 